The tide has turned. B2B buyers and sellers interactions have changed. Welcome to The Marketect, a new podcast series for B2B product marketing executives. I'm Lindsay Chupkema, CEO and co-founder at Casted, the first amplified marketing platform for B2B marketers and a proud partner of the product marketing community. We are very excited to be bringing you this special series that focuses on amplifying the expert perspectives, insights, and opinions of this brilliant community. Each episode will feature in-depth advice from executives who will tell you how they built impactful teams, optimized go-to-market efforts, and enabled customer-facing teams. The Marketect is an easily digestible way to learn from your peers as you aspire to be an architect for growth. Welcome and enjoy this episode. Welcome to The Marketect, a podcast series where leadership and product marketing meet. The Marketect is for and about the world's best product marketing leaders and the chief marketing officers that own the function. Today, we're going to cover the intelligent path to revenue, and I'm thrilled to have as my guest co-host, Jason Smith, CEO of Clue, the competitive enablement company he founded in beautiful Vancouver, Canada. So I truly consider Jason to be one of us, an honorary product marketer. It's due to his affection for the function and the manner by which he thinks about the market, the customers, the competitive set, and the ease by which he storytells. Speaking of stories, Jason, please introduce yourself and tell everyone about that wonderful trip around the world. <laughs> I like I like the sojourn into something completely different other than enablement. But yes, we um, happy to be here, CEO of Clue. And uh, yeah, Rowan's referring to a trip that I took at 40 where I pulled my kids out of school. We bought around the world, played tickets and hit 13 countries. Reconnective, fantastic uh, uh, way to see the world with your family. Thanks, Jason. And now an even interesting uh, story is about the next uh, guest that we have here. He has citizenship in three different countries, permanent residency in a fourth. I want to know about that in a second. And not to mention, I honestly believe he's LinkedIn's official piano player. My fellow architects, please welcome the five-time MVP, VP of marketing, but also MVP of marketing and current chief marketing officer of the Revenue Intelligent platform, also known as Gong. Hello, Udi. Hey, Rowan. Hey, Jason. Excited to be here. Yeah, so the citizenship story is like like most folks born in Israel, I'm a first-generation Israeli and our parents are usually from all over the place. So my father was born and raised in Sydney, Australia, so I was able to get an Australian citizenship. My mother was born in Czechoslovakia in a part that today is part of Slovakia, so that's how I got my EU passport. I got my Israeli passport and citizenship for being born there, and for the last three years I've been living in San Francisco, beautiful San Francisco, so I now have a green card here on the way to my fourth citizenship. Brilliant. Love it. Um, so today, we're, you know, we're going to chat about the intelligent path to revenue because, quite frankly, the tide has turned. The way buyers and sellers are interacting has changed. Not for now, permanently. So digital self-service, Remote customer interactions with sales reps are now and likely to remain dominant elements of the B2B go-to-market model. So sales teams today, more than ever, need the support and coaching to ensure 
that intelligent path to revenue. Before we get into the heavy hitting questions, indulge me if you will. I got three kids at home, fill in the blanks is something I do with them all the time. So I'm gonna turn this to you folks. We'll start with Udi and Jason, I definitely want your take on this. Complete the sentence. I am in marketing because... I wanted to be a magician and I did magic for 10 years, but I didn't see it as a long-term career and marketing is the closest thing I found creating magical experiences for people. Love it. Love it. Jason? Man, I don't know if I can beat the magician story. That's fantastic. <laughs> so, yeah, mine's much more simple than that. I, I, I'm in marketing because I love um, understanding what makes people tick. I love understanding what their motivations are and seeing if I can build products and messaging that might connect with what makes those people tick. Brilliant. Last fill in the blank. Udi. My definition of leadership is? Setting a great example. Fantastic. Jason? I'm going to go with helping people unlock their personal potential. I love it. And we were chatting with uh, Carol, the CMO of VMware yesterday, and she said, my definition of leadership is courage, especially in the times that we're in here today. So I love, I absolutely love your your definitions. All right, the intelligent path to revenue. Let's get to it. I I have lots of questions for Udi, but Jason, did you have one to kick us off? Me too. Yeah, Udi, it's it's wonderful to have you here um, thinking about Gong. I have so many as a CEO questions that I want to ask you about Gong, but we're going to focus it on the enablement side and on the product marketing piece. Um, Let's start with thinking about Uh, looking at Gong itself, you've created this category, you're a leader in that category now, thinking about how you help your customers grow faster than their competitors, build their markets. How are you taking what you've done at Gong and helping your customers do that? That's a great topic. Um, So in the last couple of years, we've been focusing on, on what we call Gong on Gong. So we assigned one of our top enterprise CSMs or customer success manager, to be our internal customer success manager, making sure that we're making the best use of Gong so we can set an example for our customers. And when when they ask us, so how is your product marketing team using Gong? We have a case study on that. We might have heard Elvis talk about how we use Gong for product marketing. And how does your customer success team use Gong? Well, we have a case study about that. And we're defining the best practices in the playbook because if we don't drink our own champagne, we can't expect anyone else to. So I think um, if we're fortunate enough to have a product that we can actually use and make great use of, that's that's a great starting point. Brilliant. And Udi, you talked about uh, the internal collaboration uh, to, to bring that case study to life. As a marketing leader, like who are your key stakeholders within, as the marketing leader, who are your key stakeholders within the company? Because marketing can't be an island unto itself. The intelligent path to revenue is an interlock one. So uh, who are your key stakeholders that you're collaborating, interlocking with, and um, creating plans and, and executing on? So the, the short answer is always going to be uh, the, the the head of sales. In our case, it's our CRO, Ryan Longfield, a wonderful friend and human being, and, and also happens to be an amazing sales leader. And if, if you, as a marketer, keep your sales leader happy, that is job security, and everyone is happy, and all is good. Of course, there are other secondary stakeholders. Uh, you have to develop a great relationship with finance. 
Uh, otherwise, you're not going to get that Super Bowl commercial <laughs> approved. You have to uh, have a great relationship with customer success because they also need a lot of materials and services and enablement from, from marketing. Of course, there's special relationship with the CEO and others. But if I condense all of that into the make or break relationship, it's with your head of sales. If you keep them happy, everyone's going to be happy. And, and just a, a follow up on that. How are you ensuring the interlock with sales? Um, and, and I want to get tactical here. How are you ensuring that that relationship uh, is solid? Meaning you're both aligned on the same business objectives. You're both executing, uh, rowing together. How are you ensuring that that relationship is solid? So I, I talked earlier about leadership being about setting an example. So Ryan and I get together every single week when we were back in the office, we used to actually walk out and get a coffee together, or in his case, decaf or tea or whatever he's drinking these days. He doesn't drink real coffee. Um, and then we encouraged our our people, so the, the second tier of leadership, to do exactly the same. So Russell, my, my head of demand gen, is embedded within sales and SDR. He spends more time there than within our own team, which is great. That's exactly what he should be doing. And we try and, and encourage our people to resolve everything they can before escalating anything to Ryan or me. And it's working because very, very few things are escalated to the two of us. Uh, if anything, sometimes we're like begging to be let back in the room. Oh, can you actually show us what goals you're planning for next quarter? We'd love to know because our people are so well aligned. I'm not even joking. Our people are so well aligned that they're they're running the business really well without us. And um, it's just that example of seeing two leaders work together and then the entire leadership team working together. And the last thing I'll say is you know, when we present, say, at a global kickoff or other internal meetings, the go-to-market plan, it's Ryan and I standing there together presenting the plan because this is a, a two-headed dragon uh, or a three-headed dragon if you, if you add customer success. Um, one of us cannot succeed with, with another. I'm not creating pipeline for the fun of it, and he can't sell without that pipeline. So we're presenting together. This is one go-to-market plan. There isn't a separate marketing plan and a sales plan. That wouldn't make any sense. Love it. And so does that mean during the annual planning process or quarterly planning process, you're both at the table from day one creating those plans together? It's not marketing goals and plans, sales goals and plans, and then we come together and hopefully it, it, it interlocks. Absolutely, absolutely not. The, the way we do it, we start in July. Actually, in, in 10 days, we're starting our 2022 planning cycle. So we start this almost six months before the, the fiscal year starts. We start with the CEO coming with one slide with some big ideas for the next three to four years. We agree on those. We then refine the big goals for the next 12 months or 2022. And then we break for a couple of weeks. Each of the executives comes back with their ideas of how they're going to derive their goals from the company goals. And then we start weaving it all together. Then we give it to our uh, leadership teams within sales and marketing and operations and all the other departments for them to really operationalize the plan and say, okay, how many exactly how many opportunities do we need in the enterprise segment in the UK geo every quarter next year? And how many salespeople do we need, assuming our current win rates and deal velocity to sell those deals? And it all starts coming together. And then, of course, finance starts uh, questioning, okay, how can we move resources from here to there? Because everyone wants more than we actually have to give. And by November, we stamp the plan with the board and we've been hitting those plans. I've been at Gong for five years. This process works. Well, that's, that's working at the top level, going down to kind of more of your tactical teams, like thinking you've got product marketing reporting into you, right? Not to product. Yep, correct. Product marketing rolls up into you. Then you've got sales enablement and maybe the training on the sales team. How, 
How is that intersection working and who's responsible for what there? So sales enablement, we have uh, we have a relatively new VP of sales enablement, uh, Nate. He just joined us from uh, Tableau uh, just a few weeks ago. And he reports into our VP of revenue operations who reports to our CRO. So that's on the sales side, to keep it simple. And then uh, Julian Savage, our VP of product marketing, reports to me. So that's on the marketing side. And they are partnering together. Again, it's a kind of a new partnership because we have new leadership on uh on the enablement side, but they're partnering together where I know every company sort of draws the line in a slightly different place of where PMM ends and where enablement starts. So we have PMMs who are dedicated to creating enablement materials, but roughly speaking, where we draw the line is that PMM should have the expertise and actually create all the materials that salespeople and customers are going to be using. And enablement side are the ones administering the training and doing the reinforcement and monitoring, which becomes easier when you have a tool like Gong, because I can tell you with a click of a button, which salespeople are using the new messaging this morning and who are not. That's great. So PMM is really owning the content, the messaging, sales enablements, ensuring the drive-through of it. That makes sense. Absolutely. And so, uh, Udi, if we can double-click on the enabling sales part, what are some of the approaches that have worked and didn't work? Because if product marketing, you know, you can have the best positioning, the messaging, the pricing, the packaging, the content, all that wonderful stuff. But if enabling sales is not working or effective, then it's all for naught. So, so if you could give us a couple of examples of, of how you ensure it works, uh, especially with enablement within a different function, um, and also some of the things that perhaps didn't work that you've since fixed. Absolutely. So I think it's easier to start with what what doesn't work. What what we've clearly seen does not work is when marketing or product marketing uh, sit within their ivory tower, come up with new messaging and decks and materials, and then show up in front of the sales team and go, ta-da, this is your new messaging and this is what you're all going to be using today. And then they're all scratching their heads like, which planet did these folks just land from? Uh, That is not the way to do it. So you've got to set the ego aside as a product marketer, as a marketer, and understand that this is a collaborative process. And it might, you might think that you know best, but you don't. And even if you do, it doesn't matter. You have to work with the salespeople who you expect to be using this messaging and decks. First, go through the sales calls and see what's already working. You probably don't have to reinvent the wheel if some things are working. And, and if they're not, then, then you want that evidence to show why the current stuff is not working because you're going to have to unroot some of the old practices and old materials from the sales team. So you want to show that this stuff does not actually work. And then as you start putting together the new messaging index, you have to get stakeholders from the sales team involved in the process. So one way of doing this, for example, is let's say we're pre- preparing a new deck for a certain uh, segment like uh, the commercial segment. So we'd work with one or two AEs from that segment on something that they are comfortable with to pilot because they're excited that this is going to help them sell more, then get their manager excited and involved, have them actually use it for a couple of weeks, record those calls, show the wow moments that the customers are going like, oh, wow, that really makes sense. I really see the value. I can see how I'd be using this. And then armed with all of this, do the big enablement motion to the entire team where you've already got reps that are rooting for you and say, folks, this shit really works. You really got to use this new stuff. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. You can't just show up and surprise everyone in the room and go, ta-da. That, that, that will not work. It's like Brilliant. you've got internal Instagram influencers. <laughs> you have to. Internal marketing is such an underrated part of the job. You have to do internal marketing. Otherwise, it just won't stick. 
You've got to get those champions, just like you would at a customer. You've got to get the champions within each team that are piloting this, that are excited to share it with others, that are mentoring others on how to use this. And, and once they start using it, you take those success stories, you share them in Slack. Again, with not to self-promote, but Gong is, it makes it super easy. If, if we're seeing a wow moment where a customer goes like, oh, wow, blown away by this new material that Victoria from Product Marketing just rolled out, she will share that in the Slack channel with the other salespeople. Check out this wow moment that happened 45 minutes ago because Bob just shared this new deck and the customer was blown away. Now, it doesn't get much better than that. I mean, you show the evidence and salespeople, they, they get it. Love it. Everybody's, everybody's looking for what works. And if you have an example of what works, it just goes like wildfire through the organization. We see that exactly. across our clients everywhere. Exactly. And, and, and Jason, to that point, you have clients where you've observed horror shows and then the best practices of how to enable their go-to-market teams, especially sales. Uh, any tips that you'd like to share? I love Udi's point about the surprise to of a product marketer being in their own ivory tower instead of actually in the trenches. It never works unless you're in the trenches and using the vernacular that sales understand. So internal marketing is critical using the language that the salespeople will actually use and understand. And then I love I'm using the Instagram influencer model there of the individuals that are doing it well that then trickle down. But, you know, in terms of, you know, maybe some even more tactical things that I've seen, um, shorter, digestible, like morsels are better than 17-page decks. Like anything <laughs> you can do to be tighter is better. And, and yeah. think of it breadcrumb style, like, you know, it's, it's chips, it's not the steak dinner, and get them interested in having a few snacks. And then suddenly they realize they want to drink and suddenly realize they want the meal, but you can't go in with the full meal out of the gate and it just doesn't get used. So you know, shorter, digestible. The relevancy is always critical in terms of the words that are used, but also the more specific you can make it to their vertical, their geo, maybe even their deal cycle, you know, the better it is from a messaging standpoint. And then lastly, I'd say for us, what we've seen is the more that you can integrate it in other areas. So we love taking gong clips, putting it in Clue, having the Slack interface, having the Salesforce side, wherever sales reps want to live, give them the information where they are in short, digestible yeah. morsels. Love it. Um, we're, we're living in the TikTok, Snapchat age. So people aren't reading 10-page essays anymore. I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, Udi, how are you, like the intelligent path to revenue, it, it starts and ends with understanding the prospects and customers. How are you ensuring Gong's go-to-market team? Uh, you know, you talked about sales, customer success, but specifically sales for, for this episode. How are you ensuring that they understand um, your prospects and customers' realities? Yeah, so that, that's a great question. Uh, again, I, I have no way of answering that without referring back to Gong because it's really what we use every every single day. I, I'll, I'll tell a quick story from the early pandemic days that, that I think... Uh, tells the story well or gets the point across. So when when we when we were selling, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic and everyone was trying to figure out this new world that we're living in, uh, we noticed a new phenomenon that came up in several sales calls during during a week. Uh, selling small deals that we sell across, you know, companies from the small businesses with five sales reps to huge enterprises with thousands of, of sales reps. So this story is about the, the segment of the small businesses. And in small businesses, we're used to really fast deal cycles. Like three weeks is a deal cycle from start to finish. 
Um, it, it should go very quickly. There's like one sales leader involved because they're a small company. And then suddenly something changed. In the beginning of the pandemic, we heard on more and more calls that the buyer was saying, well, I need to run this by my CFO because they're now approving every, every spend. Remember that that time about 15 months ago when everyone was clutching their wallets and saying, hey, we, we have no visibility into how long the situation is going to last. Everything has to go through the CFO. They're only going to approve you know, vital purchases. And it came up on a, on a few calls in one week. And in PMM, they and, and my content team as well, they picked up on that. And within about 48 hours, they rolled out a new content asset called How to Get Through Your Buyer's CFO. It's like a three-page template with you know, a checklist of ideas and things to do. And within about a week, that content asset became one of our most downloaded content pieces ever. And the salespeople were using it and we were posting it on social media and in email campaigns and thousands and thousands of people were downloading it because, oh my God, yes, I have this problem right now and this is going to help me solve that. Yeah. And so that's a, a way to close that loop. If you're listening truly in real time to what's happening in the market and you've got a team that's ready to go and agile and is not married to the quarterly content calendar that they prepared before the pandemic, just throw that away and build it anew. If, if the reality has changed, then your content calendar is no longer relevant. And then you roll that out and you see the results. Oh, I love it. I love it. This is this is this pivots perfectly to kind of the segment that Rowan and I wanted to go to next, which is leadership in the time of kind of a constant challenge and you know how adaptive you've been. You know, so that's a great tactical example of your team recognizing something, getting something into the field quickly. How has it been for you, you know, as a CMO? Like how are you navigating this challenge, this current kind of period of constant flux? So I, I think it is it is a, a test to everyone's leadership and, and resilience and agility. I think the the main skill that everyone is is required to to step up with is adaptability. In the last 15 months, if there's one thing that has been tested time and time again, it's our adaptability because you know the old cliche of nothing is as constant as change has really been our lives for the last 15 months. Nothing has been constant except change. And I'm fortunate to, to be working with such an amazing group of people that have really stood up to the challenge and, and adapted everything from the content calendar to um, shifting from in-person to virtual events in two weeks and setting the, the bar really high for what virtual events in the industry look like. Uh, to like Everything we do is completely changed in these, um, in these 15 months. And I think a lot of things that we did and learned are really going to serve us well moving forward. Like virtual events are going to continue. They're now transitioning and we're experimenting with hybrid events, which is going to be another huge endeavor, which I'm excited for. And learning how to not get married to your content calendar and not not fall in love with it because it could change overnight like we've seen happen more than once now. Right. Uh, it was not just the pandemic. The, the, the last 15 months, we've had, you know, the rise of the Black Lives Movement last June, which also changed everyone's priorities and what people were talking about and what was appropriate and inappropriate to, to talk about. And there's there's so many events through the last 15 months that have challenged us to to do our best to change really, really fast. And and I think a lot of that is going to serve us really well moving forward. Obviously, there's many things beyond the obvious sort of horrible global situation that this pandemic has caused and how it's affected so many people's lives. But in, in the workplace as well, I miss seeing people. I can't wait to going back to some sort of hybrid work-life model of, of meeting my, my team members at least twice a week. Um, I think we're, we're doing our first in-person offsite in a couple of weeks and I can't wait to see uh, the team. So um, 
yeah, it's been it's been an interesting year. Brilliant. And um, Jason, as a CEO, what during these challenging times, you know, we heard from Udi, but what are your expectations of your CMO during these evolving times? I think you just nailed it. The adaptability is so critical. I think, you know, and I love the example of like a content calendar that we all had lined up exactly what we're going to do, which events we're going to attend, everything that's going to be run, how the messaging's going <laughs> to throw it out, like just go. And it's, you know, the beautiful thing is I come from the startup world. This is my fifth startup. All I've ever done is startup. So um, 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 ambiguity is my middle name. And I think that's the type of people that we end up hiring that are very comfortable with um, that change, rocket rocket speed change. I think fundamentally, it's about having your pulse on the market. And so understanding how the market and the messaging might be tweaked, and then what are the events or what are the initiatives that you're going to be in place? What are you going to move? Like the adaptability going with the pulse on what it is that you need to do, and then ensuring that that messaging kind of cascades not only through the market, but through your internal teams, that everybody is on the same page. People, you'll see people running and people will say, what, is there a fire? Where, where are they running? Well, they're running because we need to launch this thing. And it becomes this moment of, um, you know, move quickly, get your finger on the pulse and, and align your company um, around whatever that new messaging and new change is going to be. And honestly, it boils down to kind of a mindset that you have to have with those people. So uh, Udi's obviously got a great team at Gong. Lots of the people listening to this will have great teams. They're adaptable, way more adaptable. It's kind of like when kids fall, you realize they're actually a little more indestructible. Your people are actually more adaptable than you expect. And so, um, you know, this has stretched it, but I think it's reinforced the fact that ambiguity, um, you get used to and you move quickly within it. Lovely. And Udi does have a great team. Shout out to Sheena, Devin, Julian, Elvis. Those are the four I know very, very well. And I'm Too sure all the others are I lovely. I don't want to get into trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All Let's the others all. I'm sure are lovely, but those are the four I have They're the pleasure fantastic. of interacting with uh, quite often. But uh, Udi, for that team that we just mentioned and the others, if you had a rally cry for your marketing team right now, as we come out of this pandemic and and quite frankly, embrace this new normal of how buyers and sellers are interacting. What is that rally cry for your team? I think what drives us every morning is, is we want to create raving fans. That's that's our number one operating principle at Gong. It's, it's on our website. I'm sure anyone who's ever interacted with Gong feels that passion of everyone, whether you're talking to a tech support engineer, whether you're talking to a salesperson, you can see them genuinely excited about the product that they're selling because it's fantastic and they use it every day and they've become better salespeople as a result of using it, uh, or, or whether you're interacting with Devin's uh, and Sheena's podcast or someone else's uh, content or, or Danny's amazingly produced events, you can see that passion for, we want to get up in the morning and create raving fans today. That's, that's what brings us to work. Fantastic. Two final questions, and this is for both of you. Our audience is VPs of product marketing, some who are tenured VPs of product marketing, some who are aspiring to be VPs of product marketing, and others who are aspiring to be CMOs. Uh, CMOs typically have one of three backgrounds, demand gen, brand, and increasingly product marketing. What makes product marketers and product marketing as a function particularly a good background for becoming a CMO in your estimation? Like, what advice would you have for aspiring VPs of product marketing who want to become CMOs? 
you know, you said correctly, Ron, the, the three main schools of thought in, in marketing are, are demand gen, product marketing, and creatives. And I think if, if we distill them to, to the first two for a second, any CMO who knows how to create demand and has their story right for the company, when I say story, I mean the narrative, the messaging, everything that comes out of that, uh, they're going to do well. And so I, I truly think you can become a CMO from either of those two practices, either demand gen, you know how to build the machine, uh, or you know how to tell the story. And, and just hire, the, your first hire should be someone who compliments you in the area that, that you're lacking. So if you're a product marketer, you've never run a demand gen machine, get someone amazing to help you run that machine and, and you can become a great CMO. But those are really the two basic skills. Brilliant. Jason, anything to add on that? My quick add on that is what I've seen is product marketers are now a pivot point for a lot of different connections between yeah. various divisions in the, in the company. So whether it's product teams, CSM teams, sales teams, the marketing team, the strategy team. What I'm seeing is product marketers are becoming more and more the strategic pivot points for an organization. And so anytime that you're touching different divisions and understanding what their needs are and, and bringing that back into kind of a messaging for each of them, I think it puts you in a great strategic position to understand the needs of an organization, which elevates you up. Brilliant. Last fill in the blank. Promise. Product marketers can be architects of growth for their company if they understand and demonstrate their impact on the business. Brilliant. Jason? I'm going to say intimately know their market, their competitors, take and form a message that internally is embraced, not just delivered, embraced internally and then messaged externally to the point of understanding amidst all of the noise out there. Love it. So have empathy, know your impact. Thank you both gentlemen. Uh, all the best with the second half of your year and, and thank you so much for, for lending us your time. That's the show. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to visit productmarketingcommunity.co to subscribe and get more information on how you too can become a architect at your organization.